0: Good evening, everybody, and welcome to Carving It Up Live right here on Twitter, as well as the Carving It Up YouTube channel and the Grid Network YouTube channel. As always, I'm Bryson Carver. Very excited to be with you on our first Friday without football, Friday without a football weekend since, like, mid to late August. I don't like this feeling. Pro Bowl, the Pro Bowl flag football game. Shout out to Peyton and Eli Manning. Peyton Manning, VFL, go Vols. Uh Nobody cares about that. Okay, it's a bunch of mostly Pro Bowl replacements or guys making their first Pro Bowl, and it's fun and all that, and the skill competition. And eh, nobody cares about the Pro Bowl. We obviously care about the Super Bowl next week. Some more on the Super Bowl. Tim Barnard, the host of the brand-new Boston Sports Summit podcast here on The Grid Network. He's going to be stopping by in about a half hour to talk, obviously, Boston sports. Uh, we're going to talk Celtics. Uh, what was a very confusing loss last night to the Lakers? I, go, I don't want to say JV team, but they didn't have LeBron and AD. And we know that's a very different basketball team in that respect. They were 15 point favorites and lost pretty comfortably, given the, op- or, uh, given the opposition. Getting to that, also we share a love of the Red Sox. I'm wearing my Red Sox hoodie today to, to show some love to to the Red Sox. Who uh, there's not much to show love to, uh, to them for, or yeah, yeah, to, to them for because the fact that, simply put, they have had a bumpy off season, or you could say back to back two, three straight bumpy off seasons. Uh, we did get Theo Epstein back in the in the ownership group. Um, am curious to hear his his, thoughts about that because Theo Epstein was a guy who came in. Theo Epstein has ended two long curses, the one in Boston and the one in Chicago with the Cubs, so get into that with him later. Of course, the New England Patriots turning over a new leaf, hiring Gerard Mayo. Looks like they're going to draft a quarterback, get his thoughts on that, and, of course, get his thoughts on Super Bowl 58. We do have one prediction already by a guest on Carving Up Live. It's Devin Nettles of the At the Bank Ravens podcast. Shout out to Devin. He predicts the Ravens. I'm sorry. (laughs) the ravens the chiefs to win 24 to 17 of the 49ers we will get tim's thoughts later on in the show but first the still i believe face of the nba is lebron james who i think shares at this point in 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 the game shares the face of the nba so to speak with steph curry I think even with the international talent that has come in and taken the league by storm, such as guys like Jokic, Giannis, Luka, Embiid, you could throw out a lot of guys. Uh, those two guys are the biggest draw. The ratings bear it out. They are two, the two biggest stars, not the two best players, but the two biggest stars of the NBA regular season and even in the playoffs. They move the needle. And the Lakers have been in a bit of a... Bit of a weird spot. So right now at this point in the season, they beat Boston last night, which was quite shocking given the fact that Boston had their entire team healthy. Tatum, Drew Holiday, Jalen Brown, Porzingis, they had everybody healthy. And they still managed to lose to the Lakers without LeBron James, Anthony Davis. But the Lakers are sitting there right now at 25 and 25. They're 500. And if you look at the standings right now out West, the Lakers sitting at five, I'm sorry, 25 and 25 are currently the nine seed and are a full four games out of the play-in tournament, All right, getting to the sixth seed in order to not have to participate in the play-in tournament. So it's early February. We still have another two and a half months left. If you include, or really two months, if you include all-star break, Lakers are probably getting the play in tournament. But listen, they were in it last year. They got to the conference finals. Where are we at right now with LeBron James? Because the fact of the matter is, before this Boston Celtics game, the Lakers had lost back to back games with LeBron out there uh, Too in late January after beating the Warriors in double overtime. They had just lost on the road badly to Houston and then on the road badly to Atlanta. And LeBron put out a tweet where it was an expiring hourglass. We'll put it that way. That's all it was, just an expiring hourglass emoji. And LeBron has sort of a history of kind of being cryptic. It's like, okay, what does he mean by this? I don't know, LeBron. I'm not Rich Paul. I'm not anybody within his inner circle, clutch sports or the Lakers or anybody, his family. Uh, What I do know is LeBron is not a man who is scared to speak his mind in very sort of passive aggressive ways. I don't know what that hourglass means. It meant something. Here's what I think it, maybe not necessarily what it should mean, but what I think he should do. He should ask out of L.A. He should request a trade by the Los Angeles Lakers, or from the Los Angeles Lakers, Lakers rather, because the trading deadline is just six days away. It's next Thursday, which I don't know why the NBA doesn't have the trading deadline uh, after the Super Bowl. It used to be that way, but now that the Super Bowl's been pushed back another week because the 18-game season, they need to adjust to that. Uh, I don't like interviewing Super Bowl coverage, but the point of all that is if you're sitting there and you're LeBron James, you're thinking, okay, I'm in year 21. I am, by the way, this is not hyperbole, the oldest player in the NBA. Literally the oldest. After Iguodala retired from my worst shot at Andre Iguodala, Fahy the on the line. I want that man taking the last shot. Uh, And Udonis Haslam retiring. LeBron's the oldest player in the league. And, uh, you know, he's just sitting back The old man's got gray in his beard. And LeBron James is averaging 24.9 points per game, seven rebounds, seven assists, and shooting 52% from the field. By the way, LeBron having a great three-point shooting season by standards, he's shooting 39.7%. So basically give him 40% from three-point range. That's a career high. So LeBron, and by the way, against perimeter players this season, I think I saw stat like LeBron is, if you look at the analytics, the best perimeter defender in basketball. So he's still defending at a pretty high level, scoring efficiently, getting guys involved, active on the defensive end. He's still, I'm still honest to God, believe he's a top five player in the league. He's still doing these things at a very high level. And he's playing on a team. It's like, it doesn't make sense. Anthony Davis is having one of the better seasons of his grade. He's averaging a double-double night to night. I call him Coin Flip Davis. Coin's pretty much been stuck on heads right now for a while now. And I believe in heads more than tails. But, you know, that said, AD's playing great. The roster, you saw last night, it's a good roster. It's the very reason I I picked the Lakers to finish as a top three seed in the West and to continue the momentum they had from last season. But the Lakers have three, I should say three major issues. LeBron has three major reasons why he should lead the Lakers. The first one is the Lakers have had poor management and I've talked about this many times on my show. In the last couple of years, the Lakers have had bad management really since Dr. Jerry Buss passed away in, I think that was 2013. So we're 11 years post that, and you can say, well, they got a title. Yeah, they had LeBron James at his peak with peak Anthony Davis, peak condition, focused Anthony Davis. It was a veteran team in the bubble, well-coached Frank Vogel. I don't believe there's an asterisk next to that championship the way a lot of people do. That was one of the hardest championships ever won. Not the hardest, one of the hardest, and I'd say that whoever won the championship, Right. So they've gotten a title, and they got to the Western Conference Finals last year. Aside from that, it's been either truly unwatchable basketball in the last few years of Kobe's career, and then the last couple of years after that, or it's been mediocre basketball. I mean, that, by definition, their record is mediocre. They're 25-25. and 25. LeBron is still playing at this level in year 21, but even LeBron last year, remember that press conference he had after the Denver, after the Denver Nuggets swept the Lakers? And he openly, this is the first time he's ever openly posed the thought of, this might be it. This might be it for me. And we were all like, oh my God, is LeBron actually going to retire? And he decided no. And he had that SP speech like, I'm coming back. Still playing at this level. You're telling me he's going to waste it on a team that I still think can get to the playoffs. I still believe, frankly, is a contender. But they're not well coached with Darvin Ham. His, his... (laughs) My man Barry Grett Jr. will go into the detail about this far better than I could because he's a Lakers fan. He watches every dribble of every game. But his rotational decisions, his lack of adjustment making, comes for the boot tree in that regard, is, is unspeakably bad. Lakers front office, horrible. Horrible. They have not, think about this, ladies and gentlemen. LeBron played seven years in Cleveland. Sorry, 11 years in Cleveland if you you know combine the first seven years and the, the four years he spent when he came back. They were a championship contender. Take out the first few years of LeBron's career when he was a kid. Almost all of them. Now, does that mean they were a good enough team back in those days? 07, that team should not have been the finals. LeBron's great and Scott and their defense, Mike Brown. But by and large, they were competing for titles. They were competing to win the Eastern Conference. You're telling me in a Western Conference where Denver is the, I think, the team to be, I've said that from the jump, don't care that they're the three seed right now. They're better than everybody. When healthy, they're better than everybody out West and maybe in basketball. But Clippers, we don't trust them. Minnesota, a lot of people buy Minnesota. Love Anthony Anthony Edwards. That's about all I love. Don't trust Cat. Don't trust Chris Finch. Uh, and the Timberwolves have a history. Let's be honest of kind of screwing it up. The Thunder, we all love them, but they're a little too young. You start looking at Phoenix. Don't trust them because they don't have a true point guard. And I don't think they can get a stop consistently. And there's some health concerns there. The West outside of Denver, the West is as open as ever. And The Lakers in the nine seed, twenty five and twenty five with a by and large, a fully healthy LeBron all season long to this point, knock on wood for him, and a fully healthy Anthony Davis to this point, knock on wood for him as well. And they're still mediocre. They're still just kind of middle of the pack. They're fine. You don't want to play them in the first round by any means. I mean, Denver would beat them, but I I, I don't think Denver wants to play the Lakers in the first round. Poor management has gotten them to the stage. The Lakers have been title contenders, I believe, twice. Since LeBron James has been in a Lakers uniform, the year they won the championship and last year. I think last year, for a couple couple different plays go their way in that Nuggets series, maybe the Lakers get to the finals. And by definition, you get to the finals, you're probably a contender. Miami was a contender every year he was there, all four years. Cleveland, what do you want to say? Five, six, seven out of the years out of those eleven, they were true legitimate title contenders. Lakers. LeBron's been there six years. They've been contenders twice. It's a poor man. Excuse me, poor management, number one. Number two, this sort of leads into it, LeBron is not year 21. He wants to win now. Like, he, he wants to win now. Yes, he's got the scoring record. Yes, he's got the four championships and the four MVPs. He wants more than that. He wants to add a fifth title. He wants an opportunity to make it even more difficult. LeBron has said he believes he's the greatest player ever. I tend to agree. We can argue that another day. But LeBron is of the mindset that, hey, I mean, am I really going to just waste my time in L.A.? Yeah, we get to the first round. We may sneak out a playoff series, but we're really not well coached enough, and I don't really trust the guys around me, and Anthony Davis can be hot and cold come playoff time. You know, it'd be nice if I had a Jalen Brunson as my point guard in New York, or a Tyrese Maxey with the 76ers, and I could be the steadying force that Joel Embiid has needed all these years. You know, it'd be nice if I went back to Miami. Still a great culture, still well run, great coach. Okay roster, but they always overachieve in the playoffs. Be nice to go to that. Be nice to go to that guy in Golden State, Steph Curry. He could sure use a a, a co-star at this point. I don't know. I I can pose that later. Um, Be nice to have those situations. Better management, better coaching, better co-stars, at least more consistent co-stars than I have now. LeBron's in year 21. He, He wants to win now. He's not here for some rebuilding nonsense. He wants to win right now. And some might say, well, Bryson. Maybe he does want to win now. He's one of the most competitive athletes ever. He wouldn't have got to this point without having that competitive fire. But Bronny's playing at USC. He's a freshman, and he's probably going to the NBA next year. Not to mention, the LeBron's net worth has literally doubled since he, joined, since he went to LA because of his production company, all the things he's been involved with, Space Jam, whatever the case may be. Why would he want to leave that? You're telling me that if he, say... Went to Golden State. That he couldn't still be out West, still support Bronny, still go to some of his games, and his businesses in L.A. They're not going anywhere. He could still manage them from another city for the last two, three, four months of the season, however long his team, where whoever he's with, plays beyond this point. So th- reason number three, his business in L.A., that's secure. KD's still got business in Golden State. He's still He's still got connections in Silicon Valley. Okay, Shaq. Like, think about Shaq. Like, he's one of the most successful business people to ever be associated with the NBA. You got all the commercials, right? He's never met a commercial that he didn't that he didn't love. He's got places and businesses and connections in L.A., in Miami, in Atlanta. Like, don't kid yourself, Shaq at Miami. Shaq has got connections all over the place. Here, you tell me, LeBron can't? LeBron still has ties to Cleveland with the I Promise School. I'm sure he still has ties to Miami. You're telling me he could still have ties to Los Angeles? And by the way, he could spend his off-seasons in LA. A lot of athletes do. I mean, a lot of athletes don't live in the city where they play currently. I mean, so some. I mean, the international players, Jokic, go back home to Serbia. So I'm just saying, those three reasons why LeBron should ask out LA. And I get Rich Paul, his agent, came out, to, uh, came out today. We are not going to trade. You know, there's no, no trade request by LeBron. Lakers aren't going to trade him. Maybe or and if I sound conspiracy theory ish, please call me out on it because those are they get on my nerves more than just about anybody. Um, is it out of the realm of possibility? Just a suggestion that Rich Paul is putting out that statement, the, the power agent, the NBA, LeBron's agent, Clutch Sports, that he's coming out there and saying that in order to suggest, hey, you know, LeBron doesn't want to leave L.A., While secretly maybe working something out with somebody with the Lakers, because what do you do? You think the Lakers would come out and say, "Yeah, LeBron's not 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 leaving. LeBron's not going anywhere." Folks, LeBron could be a free agent this summer. So you might want to get something for him because wherever Bronny goes, LeBron's going as well. So all I'm saying is um, to my guy Mike Dunleavy Jr., GM of the Golden State Warriors. I don't think it's, given that LeBron's contract is expiring, he'll probably leave anyway. Sort of a Kawhi Leonard situation back in Toronto. Klay Thompson, Jonathan Kamiga, some picks. Maybe include a Moses Moody in there, in, in that package. To bring old King James to the Bay Area. And by the way, the Knicks, the Heat, and they have similar cases. I'm just saying, just throw, just, just suggesting it. Let's see what we got here. Patrick Brown. What's up, Patrick? What's up, and happy Friday. Happy Friday to you, Patrick. And by the way, before I get to future comments, Patrick Brown uh, putting it just, folks, y'all don't even know this. Patrick Brown putting out articles by the Wazoo on the Grid Network's website. Uh, He just wrote a piece. uh, He wrote one about Ben Simmons that was very intriguing, but he also wrote one about Bill Belichick and the fact that All these head coach openings, eight of them, and Belichick didn't get, I think it was eight of them, and Belichick didn't get a single one. He wrote a a very good piece in that, so please check that out on the Grid Network's website, gridnetwork.com. Check it out. Mike Guido, also part of the Grid, the co-founder of the Grid. Get him back to Cleveland. Garland, Mitchell, LeBron, Mobley, Allen. Well, you probably have to give up some of those pieces to get LeBron, uh, Mike. And Mike, by the way, obviously, if you can't tell there, massive Cavs fan. Um, that's a possibility. I mean, maybe LeBron wants to one last hurrah in Cleveland. I've always secretly believed LeBron's going to end his career in Cleveland. I always feel like he's going to play if it's a half season. Like remember when D Wade played all those years in Miami, then went to Chicago, then Cleveland, and then he got traded back to Miami and played like the last year and a half of his career there. I could see that's happening with LeBron. Like he plays with Bronny. You know, let's Bronny, you know, sort of get comfortable in the league. And then that one last year, he goes back to Cleveland for one more year. I could see that happening. I really could. Grady Edwards, Lakers fan, by the way. This team should be 50 wins, fully healthy, easy. But there is some indictment on LeBron that this team is 500, Bryson. He's the most criticized and over-offended superstar I've ever seen. What do you mean by that, Grady? Because if it's talking, if it's talking about, he says, "Great, uh, they were contenders in 20." 20 through 21, my man just got hurt versus Solomon Hill. That's fair, um, and they were the one seed or a, a top three seed when LeBron went down, if I remember correctly, when Solomon Hill dove into LeBron's ankle. was a very dirty play, by the way. And um, and then they fell down. They were in the play-in tournament. Then they had the lead on Phoenix, and then AD got hurt. I don't know. I think there was, I think there was the fatigue. And you saw Miami with the same thing, right? Like Miami got to the finals in the bubble, virtually no offseason, and they get trounced by Milwaukee in, in the first round. That, that I think eventually the wear and tear would have gotten to the Lakers. Um, had he not gotten hurt against Solomon Hill, sure, but we'll see. Uh, yes, yeah, so Grady, go back to Cleveland and finish out in the land. He'll finish in L.A., though. Uh, oh, so you said over-defended. He, I thought you said over My bad. Okay, over-defended. Um, yes, but I could make the same case about other athletes on his level. And by the way, I can be guilty of that. You could say that about MJ. You can say that about, I don't know. Magic Johnson. I wouldn't say Kareem. I think Kareem is maybe the most underrated player in the history of the Bel- No, actually, I've said Moses Malone is most underrated player. People don't remember. Well, I wasn't around then. Moses Malone was a dude. <laughs> Moses Malone was a dude back in the day. I'm just gonna say it right now, Mike Guido. He'll retire a Cav. To what capacity he plays is up in the air. But we'll, we'll see. I mean, listen, I, I hate the Cavs to to the marrow of my bone. Hate the Cavs. It was all those finals battles all those years ago. But it kind of feels like that's where it should end. Like, D. Wade was always a Miami Heat. If D. Wade had retired with the Orlando Magic, it would have been, eh, eh, it just wouldn't have felt right. I don't know. I I do feel like LeBron should end his career in Cleveland. I really do. Um, st- sticking with the NBA, uh, because there's been like a a major, I, I don't even want to say debate, but a discussion regarding this New and it's this the first season that it's been implemented. This 65 game threshold, NBA's an 82 game season, 65 game threshold that you have to meet in order to qualify for regular season awards. So that's become a dis- topic of discussion the last few days, in large part because Joel Embiid and I talked about this on my show missed a couple games against Denver and I think it gets Portland. Then he comes back against my Warriors, is al- already doesn't look terribly healthy, and then with a a while the balls on the floor, Jonathan Kaminga of, of, my warriors um, falls on Embiid's leg. He re aggravates it. Now he's going to be out for, for multiple weeks. I think it's a torn meniscus, which sucks. And it probably due to the 65 game threshold probably takes Embiid beat out of the MVP discussion. So now it feels like it's, uh, Jokic. Uh, I think Jalen Brunson, excuse me. I got something in my eye right now. Um, Jalen Brunson I think is kind of a wild card. I think Jalen Brunson should start getting some some shine and maybe some a little bit of attention for MVP, but it feels like Jokic at this point remains the frontrunner. Kawhi Leonard potentially. But Tyrese Halliburton, who plays for the Indiana, Indiana Pacers, and I, full disclosure, I've been a Halliburton guy for years. I remember the first time I remember watching Tyrese Halliburton was his rookie year in Sacramento, because that's who drafted him. He plays for the Pacers now. And... It was early in the season. They were playing my Warriors. That was right in the middle of COVID. It was the middle of pandemic, 2020 through 21 season. It was like early January. And I remember watching this kid. I'm like, man, he doesn't look like a rookie. Like he's twitchy and really athletic and gets gets his spots on the floor. Like he he's a really mature rookie. I was a big Halliburton guy and I crushed Sacramento for trading him to, to Indiana. Still think they should captain with De'Aaron Fox. He's better than, than Sabonis, but that's neither here nor there. He's with the Pacers now, but he's been hurt in the last couple of weeks. He suffered an injury, and despite having a great year, he's leading the league in assists the whole bit. Halliburton, and being an all-star starter, by the way, Halliburton's probably not going to qualify for postseason awards. And he was talking about this, this 65-game threshold. You have to meet the NBA instituted this uh, this year. And Halliburton said, quote, I think it's a stupid rule, like plenty of the guys in the league, but this is what the owners want. So as players, we got to do our job and play in 65 games if we're able to. So that's what i got to do. Take care of my body to be able to play in those games. And I think you're seeing other players in the league kind of face that same thing, as long as the owners are happy, end quote. So uh, he is making the case that this should not be in place. More on Halliburton in just a second, but Draymond Green, my guy, I'm a big Draymond guy, uh, was talking to his podcast, The Draymond Green Show, highly popular podcast. Um, and I'm glad he's back, by the way, since the suspension. He's back doing his podcast. It's highly entertaining. And Draymond was talking about this thing as well because obviously he played in the game in which Embiid re-aggravated his knee. Draymond, quote, Joel playing tonight felt very much so because of the 65-game rule. I think it's actually quite bull. You know what? You get Joel, who comes out there tonight, and he forces it. Freak play with him and Jonathan Kaminga diving for the ball, but maybe it's not as bad if the knee isn't already banged up. I don't really bang with it. Now we've got one of our premier faces in this league, the MVP of our league, possibly hurt for an extended period of time because he's forcing it, end quote. So Draymond doesn't care for this rule. And it seemed like I remember Draymond talking about this in the past before the season. Uh, to Halliburton first, because he's the one, he, he went so far as to say it's a stupid rule. Draymond called it BS. I'll say this about Halliburton. I get his frustration a thousand percent. Because it's not Halliburton's fault that this rule's in place. This rule's in place. We all know why. Load management. Because you have so many guys who have Kawhi Leonard's sort of the the ring bearer of it uh, to a certain degree. And the Spurs back in the day. Where... You rest your star player when he's probably a 1,000% healthy. And my guy, Barry Grant Jr., even podcast, yeah, shout out to him. He was all over this when a study came out about a month ago that showed, hey, playing basketball more is actually better for you than if you're off and on, off and on, on the bench, playing, 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 on the bench, on the bench, playing. Like it's when it's kind of inconsistent up and down like that, as is with any form of athletic activity or physical activity of any sort, the risk, the injury risk actually goes higher. Like this study came out not that long ago. And Tyrese Halliburton's like, time out. I'm in my fourth year in the league. I'm, I'm, I'm I've been one of the best players in basketball this year. Maybe a sneaky MVP candidate had I been healthy. And because I suffered one injury, I'm going to miss out on all this money and all this opportunity. From Halliburton's perspective, I, I I have absolute sympathy for him or empathy. I, I, I hate that for him. Um, as for Draymond Green and others who have criticized this, seem seemed like I remember even Kawhi Leonard coming out against this. With all due respect, they're wrong. They're dead wrong. And Halliburton's wrong as well, but I feel sympathy for Halliburton because the fact that he had nothing to do with this rule. He had nothing to do with this rule. He's, he's been playing his game. He's a young guy. He's not low management. He's out there playing his you-know-what off, and his, he, in, he suffers an injury, and he may miss out on postseason awards. The NBA didn't have a choice. They had to institute this. And they instituted, I remember talking about this, I think it was at the beginning of football season as well, where the NBA instituted an additional rule to combat load management where they essentially said, you have to play national TV games. If you're if you're not injured, you have to play. Like, you have to have a disclosed injury. Like, that's why they're investigating the Embiid thing, because his injury was announced 15 minutes before tip-off against Denver on a nationally televised Saturday afternoon game in Denver. That's why they're investigating, because you have to have a disclosed injury. It can't just be you're sitting because of rest. You can't do that in national TV. It's bad for the TV networks, bad for silver, bad for the overall product. I didn't think it was a good rule. Because my thing was, okay, the Warriors play more national TV games this season than anybody. 41. That's half the games. The other half the games, they can rest them as many as they want. If they wanted to. So the Warriors play the most. But if you have a team like the Clippers who aren't on national TV as much, well, they can rest as many times as they want. So I think that rule didn't really combat load management at all. The 65 game rule, though, probably does. Could it use some tweaking for players who are legitimately hurt? Yes. But it also goes back to the bigger bigger conversation. It isn't as as if, if you don't play 65 games, you don't get your, you don't get your check for the season. You don't get paid. That, that would be different. You don't qualify for postseason awards. Well, That's like getting a bonus at work. It's like getting a a promotion, like a a, a bonus, a holiday bonus, whatever the case may be, at work. That's kind of what these postseason awards are for players. So, again, from Halliburton's perspective, I feel bad for the kid because he's like, this is totally out of my control. One bad play happened. I'm going to miss out on $40 million because of a rule instituted that I had nothing to do with. I get that. But for other players, Kawhi criticized it. And it's for Kawhi to go after. I'm like Kawhi, you're you might be the reason this rule even exists. You know what I'm saying? Like again, it got to a point where it's bad for the networks. It cost the NBA some money. It, it, listen, when you mess with when you mess with owners and commissioners' bottom line, then it's gonna be a problem. So the 65 rule game, I think, has to be in place to combat this very thing. be playing, that's his prerogative, and him playing is what might cost him MVP. And it sucks that that. Sort of come to came to fruition. I get that because of freak play with Jonathan Kaminga, but at the same time, he was his decision to play. So it, it, y'all, all, the, all, the, all these sort of combine into a nuanced uh, conversation as well. Um, so for certain players who had nothing to do with this, like Tyrese Halliburton, I, I, I get their frustration. For others, Kawhi Leonard, even to a certain extent, not to the level of Kawhi, but even to a certain extent, my man Draymond. They're wrong on this because it's players like Kawhi, predominantly, why this rule exists. Let's before we get to, our, to get to our guests, let's look at some comments. Uh, Grady is in here. I think it should be sixty. This is what Grady says. I think it should be sixty games, but fifty-five to sixty-five games. Man, a fan pays their harder money to go see their favorite players, and he miss out on LeBron and AD load management uh, for two years. That's what. That's what happened to one of my best friends when him and his dad buy tickets to go see the Hornets and Lakers game. Yeah, and that, that's that's something that really and that by the way, too, Grady. That's why I didn't like the the whole national TV rule. I don't think that's gonna work. Because, like you mentioned, you said uh, you said Hornets Lakers. How many games the Hornets Hornets on national television? You know, like Lakers Hornets is gonna be on TV locally in LA and in Charlotte, and then on NBA League Pass. They could the, they're they're not gonna be on national TV. So like. For games like that, for smaller markets like Charlotte, like Orlando, Orlando's on the come-up, but still, ways to go, like Detroit, like uh, Portland. They're not going to be on national TV, so they could sit if they wanted to because it wouldn't be against the rules. I don't know. I, I don't think that rule really works. Uh, Grady, I'm good with 55 to 60 games, but there should be a minimum to qualify. I agree. Just like there's one to qualify to lead the league in scoring or any category prior to this year, this isn't as new of an idea as people think. That's a great point. I did not think about that. That's a great point, Grady. Um, yeah, you have to play a certain amount of games to qualify to lead the league in scoring. That's a great point. Um, so, yeah, there you go. It's a nuanced conversation, but I do think the rule uh, should be in place. Okay. We've got a new guest coming on who happens to be a brand new member of the Grid Network. He's hosted the first few episodes of the Boston Sports Summit. As you'd imagine, he covers Boston sports. Listen, we would get into Bruins, but I know nothing about hockey, so I'm not even going to touch that. Uh, We're getting to some Patriots, some Red Sox, some Celtics. So would you please give a warm welcome, making his debut on Carving Up Live. It is... Tim Barnard joining the show. Tim, my man, how you doing? Welcome to Carving It Up.
1: I'm doing great, except for that game last night. What a total yeah. joke it was. <laughs>
0: <laughs> we'll get into that. We'll get into that uh, right to the bat. But first of all, tell everybody out there, uh, welcome to the show. Tell everybody out there about Boston Sports Summit and and sort of like the the the, the thesis of the show, or the, the the background of the show, and and what goes into that.
1: Yeah. No. Absolutely. Again, you know. Boston Irish couldn't tell, you know. Grew up rooting for all four of these teams. They've been my teams my entire life, no matter where I've lived in this great country of ours. And you know, it just it being a part of the grid and being a bar being a, able to talk about all four of my sports teams. I mean, I have an opinion on all of it. So I just I'm excited to be able to talk about it because it kind of makes me feel like. You know, to some extent, I'm doing sports talk radio up in Boston because that's all they do. They talk all four sports teams. And I feel like you have a Patriots-specific, a Celtics-specific, a Red Sox-specific. On this show, on Boston Sports Summit, it's everything. Everything is fair game.
0: For sure, and and listen, I I know as well as anybody. Uh, I guess as a Red Sox fan, so I have like minimal ties to Boston to a certain degree. That's why I wore this Red Sox hoodie. Want to want to be there too, Red Sox. You're the first Red Sox fan to be on the show, just for the record, just to let you know that that's not me. So very excited about that. But uh, listen, Boston is it's kind of like Philadelphia, kind of like New York. Like these cities are very much a like if you don't show up, if you don't get give the results that we're looking for, like we're gonna let you know about it. And to us to a large degree, I, I respect that because the fans hold in that city, the fans hold a lot of power um in that city there's no question about that um I do want to ask you though about that game last night because that's the most recent event that happened recent major event, I guess that happened in Boston sports the Celtics playing the undermanned Lakers no LeBron James no Anthony Davis uh with their entire cast of characters Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Drew Holiday, Kristaps Porzingis still managed to lose 114 to 105 and Lakers from start to finish Tim controlled that game throughout what is I guess this is sort of a two-part question Mm -hmm. Your concerns with that game, and does it it affect your overall outlook of the season? Because I think Boston should win the East. I picked them to win the East before the season.
1: Well, so I'm going to say, I'm going to start it off with this. This team is probably the most talented team in the NBA. Top to bottom, I think they're the most talented team in the NBA. And not only should they win the East, but they should at least be, you know, go on to the NBA Finals. They should go on to the NBA Finals and compete for a championship, and not have a you know four you know get swept or be down or lose four to one in the series. It should be a you know either they're doing the sweeping or um, it's going six seven games in the NBA Finals. And if they lose on a final shot, then fine. Like I get it, but um, ultimately that game last night, it it scares me. Because it's not just last night; it's it's a culmination of what's gone on. What feels like over the last week and a half, you know, ever since that loss to Denver, it feels like the Celtics are going back to what they were last season, where they were down three nothing against uh, Miami. They, you know, forced a game seven against Philly. You know that again, they were better. Than Philly, they were better than Miami. They should have been in the NBA Finals again last season, but it, it the way they play, the way it's been going on recently, yeah, it, it scares me because they were twenty and zero at home, dominating left and right, and then you have, you know, uh, a close loss to Denver, which they should have won that game. Like if
0: hmm. yeah, you, I remember watching that yeah on ESPN.
1: Yeah, they should have won that game, but just cr- you know, uh, uh, curdled or cradled, whatever the phrase is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, Turtled, there we go. Um, turtled at the end of it, and Tatum felt rushed, and it doesn't look like he can really slow things down. And then from there, they felt like they've been falling back. That game against New Orleans on uh, Monday, I think it was, They they were down 17 to the Pelicans, I mentioned this on uh, my Instagram when I went live last night, You know, recapping uh, the final five minutes of the Lakers-Celtics. I'm like, they, they barely beat the Pelicans, who are eighth in the uh, Western Conference, barely hanging on to a, a play-in spot. And now you go against the Lakers, who are without probably the two best players by a lot on that team. Like it's AD LeBron and then D'Angelo Reeves. Reeves Russell,
0: yeah,
1: yeah. So I, I I sat there and I'm like watching, going like wanting to pull my hair out. I don't have any, but <laughs> uh, it's not long enough. But sure. I just I was just like, what the hell is going on? And you know, it, it's almost like they they thought to themselves that the balls are out in the court. We're just gonna walk in there. We don't have to do a damn thing. They're gonna give us the game. Mm-hmm. And that's and that's been the mentality for Tatum and Brown. I feel like ever since they put on Celtics uniforms. It's you know, when they when they go against an easy opponent, they just they take it easy. They're like, we're good.
0: Kind of going through the motions.
1: Yeah, and that's what happened last night. And you know what? I'm glad that Celtics fans got after them because again, yeah, we know better. You know, we're not stupid when it comes to this. And, and, and even though a lot of people wanted to blame Joe Missoula for that game last night when listening to you know sports talk radio and stuff after the game, it's like, no, you have Jalen Brown, who quite honestly is vastly overpaid. Vastly overpaid.
0: Yeah. It's a big and he
1: eight points. Eight points. Like I, I was, I was in favor of getting rid of him. Uh, you know, for with that with the contract, I was like, you know what, either trade him or let him walk because he's not worth it. And you have games like this; it's a joke.
0: And that's what's going to be tough because Tatum's going to make even more than that once his contract is up. And, and that's you know one thing with Jalen Brown is, and that that's what made it tough for Boston because it's like that's why I think trading him. A season ago, mid-season could have been the better option because at least you're not trapped in having to make that decision. You get something in return because you can't just let him walk. That would have been the worst decision is at least keep him. You get that production or move him for something else. You don't just sit on your hands and let nothing happen. Uh, But the thing I've always, and and I've been a Jalen Brown guy for years, the one thing that for some odd reason, he's a guard too, which is odd, is that his handle is atrocious. Like that, like that's. I I I don't. I remember the first time I really, really noticed it was that twenty twenty two finals against my Warriors. I'm sitting there thinking, man, like every time Draymond uh, takes this guy, it's it's a disaster. And so, uh, but I I think the one. The 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 loss for Boston that really sort of was like, whoa, hang on, was or not the loss, the game for Boston. They actually won the game, was when the Pistons were on that crazy losing streak took Boston to overtime and then Tatum made a couple of shots there at the end of it to pull away. But that yeah. was where I was kind of like, hmm. And, and I'm with you, I would not put last night's loss on Joe Missoula. But I think this is a guy where listen, you know, last year there was obviously a big talent gap between Boston and Miami. Miami still won the series, but when you have Eric Spulster, Joe Missoula, that like that's not a fair yeah. fight. And so I thought the addition of Sam Cassell would potentially address that as one of the assistant coaches. Uh, We'll we'll see come mid-April past that, if that makes a a huge difference. And and experience obviously pays off for a guy like Joe Mazzula. I just don't know if that's going to be something that's... And listen, the East is in a weird spot right now where Miami, you got to worry about Miami because they always seem to flip a switch in the playoffs, even though they're not playing very well right now. Milwaukee, I don't trust them now with Doc coaching. Uh, The Knicks, I like them. I'm a big Brunson guy, but... Uh, do they have quite the pieces to get up the top? Maybe. East feels really wide open. Like, it, it's kind of like if if Boston doesn't win the East this year, then there, there needs to be some serious uh, serious questions asked in terms of how they address that roster. But uh, if you have any thoughts on that, I'm, 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 I'm down to hear it.
1: Yeah, well, again, just jumping back to your point about Missoula. Like, listen, I'm one of the guys, I don't know how you feel about this. I'm one of these guys that, to be honest with you, coaching in the NBA is so minute. It's not even funny. Like when it compared to the NFL, it is. Yeah. Like you, you to set essentially all the coach does is just been like, okay, you come off, you come on and maybe I'll drop a couple plays. The problem with Joe Missoula is he, again, kind of, I have this rant um, on Wednesday night talking about the nerds and talking about how analytics has ruined sports and is infiltrated. Uh, what the lions did on Sunday. And it's, it's scaring me because I don't want, you know, major decisions to come down to numbers because what do numbers tell you? All you have to do is pluck this versus this. Well, I'm going to leave that out because if I just do this, you know, it, it makes it helps my point, you know. So, sure. again, this whole idea in the NBA that, again, hey, three is greater than two. Well, no duh. Like, you know... If any- you can
0: shoot them is the thing. That's why it worked for Golden State because we have the splash pros, yeah. yeah, of course you're going to take them. Like, that's... It's a case-by-case basis.
1: Exactly. Yet, the Celtics, ironically, they put up the most three-point attempts in the NBA. And the problem with, you know, Joe Missoula, that, again, listen, it, it was the players last night. That's 100% where the blame should be. The only exception I would have in, you know, angle that I would point to Joe Missoula is the fact that you don't have Anthony Davis there, how big mm-hmm.
0: How big was their center
1: in uh, that the Lakers played? What, 6'11", maybe 7 feet? Top?
0: And it is not as long as Anthony Davis, no. And it, it doesn't not create havoc down low, yeah. So, why did the Celtics throw up 48
1: threes in that game and only you have seven free throws? Why did Christoph Porzingis shoot seven or eight threes in the game Versus being down low, being in the paint, taking advantage, being the unicorn that he is. When you don't have Anthony Davis in there, just play play to the team. Don't play to the scheme. And the scheme is shoot as many threes as you humanly possible. Kind of a, a uh, I would say, a modified version of the seven seconds or less uh, mm. Suns. You know, if you think about it, sure. it's just like, throw up as many threes as possible you'll end up making more than you missed or something to that effect in which case you'll be better than the team and I Joe Mazzola you know schemes to his to the analytics he doesn't scheme to what the other team is doing where the you know who's in who's out how can I take advantage of that with my roster and that's where I place the blame on that. And yeah, you know what? The other team I would be on the lookout for in the playoffs to probably dethrone the Celtics are the Pacers, because there were there were three games where okay. I was questioning everything. And yes, I I honestly thought that that was gonna I would have bet on Detroit to win that game um, against Boston because it just it, it felt like you know with my history watching Boston sports my whole life it just it felt like such a trap game that i'm like the Celtics will blow this they will be that team you know to to lose to the pistons but um the three games that i really that have stuck out in my mind are the indiana pacers uh, where in the the play in
0: on two oh play in okay yeah play-in. yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: Uh, not the play in but the in season tournament that's that's what i'm thinking of um the yeah the detroit game and then the uh, Nuggets game. You know, those are really the three games that stuck out to me and why I'm concerned about the Pacers going forward because I don't know. Sometimes the mentality in these guys, and if you give, you know, because I know Jalen doesn't want the last shot, Tatum, everything speeds up for him when he released that ball against uh, Denver, they were still three full seconds. Like I I stopped it when that ball was out of his hand and the shot clock said three seconds or not shot clock, but the game clock said three seconds on it. Like, you know, take a deep breath, calm down. You got plenty of time. And he didn't, he rushed it. That's why I think they blew it against Denver. So he can't uh, be the final shot. So who is Derek white? I love white. He's been the best player. I think arguably for the Celtics this season, if not, you know, the best, the second best for sure. He's definitely.
0: yeah, no, he's definitely been consistent. And obviously everybody remembers the shot he made against Miami, or the, the little putback shot. That, that was, you know, crazy. But, uh, but let's I see. blew that. <laughs> that yeah, exactly. Yeah, he took the shot very early in, in the game clock. Uh, Patrick Brown who's a Lakers fans in the comments. Lakers, uh, sorry, Reeves went 7 for 10 from 3. I was utterly shocked. The Lakers won without LeBron and AD. We were on a two-game losing streak and looked discouraged. And that's kind of like the, and this isn't, to make you, if I can make you feel better, that I don't think it's much of a Celtics thing. It's more of an NBA thing, like sort of the wounded dog theory, where it's a team comes in. You don't really take them seriously. They build a rhythm, they build a little bit of confidence, and they sort of ride that out the rest of the game, whether they win or lose. It's a lot, a lot, a lot tighter and more tense than you would you would hope it to be. One thing with Porzingis you bring up though is is he, and then we can move on to the Red Sox. Is you know his inability to score down low. Uh, Tim Dallas had that exact same criticism of him. Washington Washington wasn't near as well as Dallas or as Boston, but like that was kind of a thing there too. Is he's kind of a seven foot three perimeter player. Like that's just. I don't know if it's on his DNA. It's how he's built physically, mentally. I don't know what that is, but uh, that's definitely been something that is that has hurt him in the past. And the one know, thing, yeah. Sorry,
1: I don't mean to cut you no, off. One thing to, to Patrick's comment about Austin Reeves. Guess who has gotten him all night? The three hundred yeah. million dollar man, Jalen Brown. Ron
0: Brown. It's not great, oh. and I like Austin Reeves, but uh, I don't know about that. I don't know about that. <laughs> I don't like him that much. No. You know what I'm saying? No. for sure, <laughs> for sure. So let's move on to the Red Sox, a team that you and I share a a, a deep love and passion for. Uh, they have had a an uneventful off season, to say the very least. Uh, you could call it eventful, maybe in the for the wrong reasons in terms mm-hmm. of the ownership group. But uh, we did get some good news today in that, at least I perceived as good news, in that fact that Theo Epstein, who's the, I mean, the curse breaker in Major League Baseball, he broke the Red Sox curse in 04, the Cubs curse in in, in 16. Uh, So he joined the Fenway Fenway Sports Ownership Group uh, today, got announced today. So he's with the Red Sox. He's not like the president of baseball operations like he was back in the day. Uh, But I would assume he's going to be in some decision-making role to a certain degree. I'd be shocked if that's not the case, given his team-building history. Uh, Your reaction to that, and we can move on to the ownership after that, but your reaction Actually, Theo Epstein coming back to Boston.
1: Yeah. So I woke up this morning um, to see that news. Like, first thing, the athletic notification on my phone, Theo's back. And I had to read that twice because I was like, no, no way. Uh, yeah. And uh, sorry about that. Um, no, no worries. But, uh, yeah, so I was like, I was stunned. And I'm like, okay, is this real? And I looked it up, saw so it all over Twitter. And I was like, at gut reaction, I was like, okay, that's great. But then I read the press release and it got me a little discouraged. It got me feeling like this is just a PR stunt because when you read what John Henry, you know, issued saying, quote, with his strategic mind, leadership, unwavering passion for sports, Theo brings invaluable assets that will drive us forward across our diverse enterprises, especially in our sporting operations across hockey EPL and baseball. And to me, that sounded like, oh, he's going to have a say in everything. And it also, to me, had me a little worried because I think Theo talked about it himself. He's like, yeah, I'm, you know, and a senior advisor. So whatever the team needs, I will be there to give advice for. Right. In which case I'm like, well, So what, you're just going to sit back and if Breslow or Kennedy, you know, are trying to figure out this deal, they're going to call you to say, hey, what can we get any final touches here and there versus, I don't know, being an integral part in making that deal, being an integral part in going after players like the freaking Orioles, who had new ownership two days ago and traded for one of the best starting pitchers in baseball. Like, what? so what? It, what is Epstein's role? You know, is he going to have say on the Penguins? Is he going to have say on Liverpool? Like, it's, you know, and then he's going to come to baseball or is baseball his lone priority? Because according to John Henry, his strategic mind is diverse enough to focus on hockey, soccer, and baseball. So I'm a little worried uh, that, Again, you know, uh, Fenway Sports Group is doing Fenway Sports Group. They're trying to find ways to get the fans off their back because they know we are too smart, essentially for our own good sometimes. Because, (laughs) honestly, when you talk about and we'll get to it probably in a minute, but when you talk about going full throttle and the uh, free agency is Shohei Otani, Yoshida, I don't know his first name, but Yamamoto, Yamamoto. 25-year-old pitcher, you know, you know, in Japan, even the lefty, you know, in Japan, uh, several of these other guys, like you talk about going for all throttle and then don't capitalize. And now you want to save face by bringing back the curse breaker, bringing back the guy who, you know, snapped the 86 year uh, curse of the Bambino. It's it, it's I'm happy, but I'm scared. To, you okay. know, for that for that, it's almost a PR stunt rather than um, a legit red sox move
0: that's that's an interesting way to to go about it. and I mean, listen, I, 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 it became a running joke. i made mean, on social media is anytime you'd see, like, I follow like, like Sox network, I follow a lot of Red Sox accounts on, on social media, like Sox, Sox network. I, I get the notifications all the time where the Red Sox are interested in X, whether it's Otani Yamamoto, I think Adolis Garcia, I think was mentioned. It's like, yeah, they're, they're, they're great they're at being interested. interested in guys. They're always interested. Uh, yeah, who is, who isn't interested in the, one of the greatest baseball talents in the history of the world, Shohei Otani, and one of the best pitchers we've ever seen come from overseas in and, and that's that has been what's frustrating for me as a Red Sox fan. I think the first domino to fall had to be the Mookie Betts trade in early 2020. I will still, as long as I live, never forgive the franchise for making yep. that move and not just giving that man his money. And you see how it's worked in LA. He's been Mookie Betts. He's been fantastic. And it's it, it's what what is what doesn't make sense to me, Tim, is that obviously the Dodgers have a rich ownership group. So the Yankees, so do the Red Sox. They used to go out and get these big name for ages. Again, like, like JD Martinez was a massive get going into 2018 and was a driving force in this winning the world series trading for Chris sale. Um, again, as a Red Sox fan, I, I wasn't a fan for what's that.
1: I was like, again, go Kyle Crawford, Manny Ramirez. Yes. Pedro Martinez. Well, actually I think Pedro was before them, but, uh, but still, you know, yeah, it, it, a rich ownership
0: to... group, no salary cap in baseball. Like they have an opportunity to go out and get these guys and, They've kind of just like, they're not even amongst the mean, The Cubs are beating them out. The, uh, the, the freaking Blue Jays are beating them out. Tim, what is going on right now? How, how's the end division? It's one thing. If the Yankees are beating you out, yes, they're rich. They got the history, the Blue Jays like that. That's where I sat back. And the, like you mentioned the Orioles going and making the trade they did yesterday with the new ownership. It's like, is is it a is it a situation where the ownership ha- group has their hands in so many different uh, enterprises, like you mentioned, Liverpool, the Penguins, the Pittsburgh Penguins, uh, where it's bought, the Red Sox have kind of become like a side thing that they sort of care about, but not really. Mm. Um, yeah, listen, I, I'm excited. I think I'm more excited. Than, I should say more excited than you, but more optimistic than you are about Theo. About like, I think he'll have more of a say than John Henry's letting on. Maybe that's just a just a press release, put that out there, whatever. Uh, I think I'll have more of a say than, than that, uh, ho- hopefully as much potentially as Breslow. But it has been a it, – it's sort of like I'm shocked that we kept Devers last year just given how this is, has, has gone, for sure.
1: Well, it's funny you bring up Devers because you know how – we got – we you know, the Red Sox fans, in my opinion, were the ones that signed Devers. So uh, on New Year's, Eve, or New Year's Day, they had the um, hockey game, uh, Winter Classic at Fenway. It was Bruins-Penguins because, of course, John Henry just bought the Penguins and he's like, okay, I want this to happen. And, of course, what goes on is his limo pose, pulls up on Lansdowne Street and literally – Red Sox fans, videos of it, holding up, signed ever. So as he's stepping out, you know, we're booing him, yelling at him. I wasn't. I wasn't there. But I saw all these videos on Twitter just going at him. And, again, they eventually catered. Because I thought the same thing. when And that Mookie Betts deal, you're right. I will never forgive them for that because, now listen, were there more sides to the story um, that I think – both sides of letting on I think there were I think there was this you know uh, I'm not sure if they pulled like a John Lester where they just in Xander Bogarts where they just undersold Mookie so much he basically had two middle fingers up to them or that there were some circumstances with the city that he claims you know or claims this that and the other like I'm not going to get into it but um you know and that's why he's just like, I need out of Boston. I need a new change of scenery, whatever. Sure, just get me it. the hell out of here. And of course, I, what was it, last year or two years ago, um, where they asked him straight up, you know, what would you have signed in Boston if you got the same exact deal you got in LA? And he, you know, without skipping beat, he goes, undoubtedly. You know, I I definitely would have stayed in Boston, which again, begs begs the question, what happened? where where did this all stem from? Because I can tell you, they traded John Lester for Johanna you know, Sespidus because John Lester wanted to stay for a hometown discount. They wildly undersold them even though they went out, got Calcroft and Pablo Sandoval. I think actually Pablo Sandoval was after that. But they they wildly undersold a fan favorite in Lester and then traded him for a guy, which I was like, you know what? Cespedes is a good player. Like I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna be angry about that. A hundred percent angry about that. And then they let him walk, you know, at the after the second half of the season. Then you know, fast forward to Xander Bogarts. Xander Bogarts, they again undersold him wildly. Once again, wanted to stay, would have stayed for a hell of a lot less than he you know got in San Diego. But you know, they they wouldn't come up even a fraction. I bet. So he took the big payday in San Diego. And you have Red Sox fans being like, well, of course, we we don't want to sign him for that. It's not that we would have signed him for that. It's that he wanted a hell of a lot less from you, but we weren't even willing to offer it to him. And, And that's what I've been saying for years. I remember the first enterprise that John Henry and Fenway Sports Group bought after the Red Sox. I think it was around 06, 07. So I don't know if we had one or two World Series at the time, but um, was Roush Fenway Racing. They did they bought that, they bought in on that enterprise in NASCAR, and I, that was I, light bulbs went off in my head. And I was what 16, you know, 15, 16 years old when this all went down. And I'm like, wait a minute, hold on. I this is bad. This is yeah. bad. Like, this isn't going to be good for us. And then, of course, a few years later, they bought Liverpool. You know, about 50, you know 10 years later, they bought um, the Penguins. And now they want to probably start a team with LeBron in, in Vegas. And, you know, now they invested $3 billion in the PGA Tour, which come to find out the commissioner of the PGA Tour and Sam Kennedy are tight. And Sam oh, Kennedy – and Sam Kennedy was at the um at the signing today and yet and it's so funny because again he's he's really not a part of Fenway Sports Group he's the president and CEO of the Red Sox you know it's not like yeah. yes FSG pays him but he's a sole Red Sox guy so what the hell is he doing at the PGA
0: signing no it's it's a disconnect there and it's a now, and like you mentioned, they, they they unders. I remember when the moment that it really just just made my blood boil and just broke my Red Sox loving heart into a thousand pieces was last year when the Dodgers came to Fenway and Mookie got the standing ovation. And, and Mookie, you sort of referenced like some of the media uh, uh, media hits he did, where he was like, "Yeah, I'd love to stay in Boston. Love my time here. We won a championship." And it's like, ah, oh, that just makes it even worse. If he didn't want to be here, that's one thing. Okay, well, at least get something for him and yeah. it's like man the guy wanted to stay and it, he he would have been the face of your franchise after poppy retired and like that that was that that definitely made it tougher to the patriots who are in sort of the of the Boston team, certainly in the most uh, – the, the biggest transitional sort of uh, situation. Uh, Belichick gone. We'll get into him later. Jerome Mayo, the, now the new head coach. Belichick, uh, assistant, linebacker. By the way, uh, Tennessee volball for life. I see that Gator helmet uh, behind you, and I don't like that. T- no, 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 Listen, I know y'all own us, and I, I, I just – come on. <laughs> been man. 20 years,
1: and you get tw- you get another 20 more before you win in the uh, swamp there. Uh,
0: the, the last time, Tim, that they won in the swamp, that the Vols won the swamp, I was like – six months old or something. So <laughs> 2003. <laughs> uh, yeah, 2003, it's like full context. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a, it's been a painful existence outside of 2016 and 22. But anyways, that aside is like that, that never happened. Um, so go balls, draw mail, but he's the new head coach. Uh, the Patriots are drafting top five. We assume they're going to take a quarterback, uh, What's sort of your takeaway on what are your expectations this coming year for New England? Because obviously Buffalo's a contender. Miami uh, is a perennial playoff team. The Jets, who, who the heck knows what's going to happen with the Jets. And the Patriots are kind of in a rebuilt scenario where all the, they can go nowhere but up. What's your thoughts on Jerome Mayo and a potential of drafting a quarterback?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm, I, I wish I could sit here and tell you that we're going to be fine. You know, we're going to bounce back. It's just going to be a, you know, last season was just a down year. I, but I can't, you know, I really can't because with Gerard Mayo, like, listen, I love Gerard. I, I think he's going to be hopefully more of that player's coach that, you know, you see in pretty much, I think, all of sports now. Like, there really is no more drill sergeant, it's my way or get the hell out of here, you know, type of attitude anymore. And obviously, Bill Belichick was probably the the very, him and um, Popovich, Popovich are probably yeah. the last guys that have that mentality and will not stray from it. Um, but I'm, I'm worried because don't get me wrong, Gerard Mayo, I think it'll be fine. Um, you know, the, the higher or upgrade Demarcus Covington, a for D line to DC, I think it was fine. I mean, I really have no which way or, you know, no feelings, which way about it. The thing that scares me though, is obviously the offense. Because the only guy, the only two guys, honestly, on the team that are worth keeping around are obviously Pop Douglas, who's a six-round draft pick and is tiny as hell. And I don't know how he's going to, you know, survive um, if he doesn't bulk up. And then, you know what, Hunter Henry is decent, Ramondre Stevenson is, is good, um, Kendrick Bourne. I I love his attitude. He seems like a really good guy, like a good team morale guy, but he's going to, you know, he's on free agency and just had that major injury. Um, So I'm, I'm a little worried. And plus they just hired um, Alex van Pelt. I think his name is uh, Mm -hmm. the OC from Cleveland. And while I'm not upset by it, I'm, I'm, they they interviewed eleven other candidates, and then settled on him because he worked with Elliot Wolf in the in Green Bay, right? And that's where I'm kind of like, <laughs> what are we doing? You know, you seem to want to go get all these, you know, young McVay Shanahan disciples, and there was talks that Nick Cayley, who spent one year as a tight ends coach and the Rams uh, was going to be the OC here, had a very good chance. And then that falls through. And and don't get me wrong. I'm actually happy about that. I'm happy that Nick Kaylee fell through uh, because again, one year as a tight ends coach, never worked with quarterbacks, never, you know, built an offensive system. And so with all of that being said, we have Alex Van Pelt. And then that quarterback room, I think, is just an absolute disaster. It's bad, absolute disaster. I think Mac Jones and Bailey Zappi are two guys who are like, "I'm coming for the job," yet you both suck. So Zappi's
0: better than Mac, though. You'd you'd acknowledge that? You no, don't think so?
1: I I think well, listen. I think Zappi's got a better arm than Mac. I think he can hit those out throws better than Mac can because you know with Mac's noodle arm, but I think Mac. Has you know, is a better decision maker. I think Mac can read the defense. I
0: saw this year, yeah. I mean,
1: obviously, yeah. Both both guys aren't great decision makers, but I meant like I I meant in terms of reading the defense, seeing what the defense is giving you. Because what he did under Josh McDaniels in year one leads me to believe that okay, Mac can be a competent guy in the league, yes, he needs to somehow hit the gym a hell of a lot more to be able to hit those 15 yard outs. But I'm just like, they, they are both head cases. They both hate each other. We, we could have had a, uh, uh, we could have had a guy in Malik Cunningham, but we were like, no, we don't like Bill Belichick. Like, like those types of guys. See, you know, see Lamar Jackson. You know, we, we had an opportunity to get him. Josh McDaniels wanted him, but we pass on that. So then we get Malik, and then they're like, "Oh, we brought him up, put him back. Brought him up, put him back, and then the Ravens claimed him." Like, you know, and I'm I'm glad that he's going to a team that will actually appreciate his talent versus New England.
0: Sure, and and it's a like Belichick. We we've talked about before. Like his his last ten drafts have been atrocious. And like if there was a Patriots had the third pick, am I correct? Third pick of the draft? Third. Okay. So we assume Caleb's going to go number one. Drake may probably goes to Washington, too. So that, so that would leave Jaden Daniels. That would leave Bo Nix, Michael Penix Jr. Of those three, and if maybe anybody else, like a J.J. McCarthy's a wild card. Of those potential guys, let's just let's just say Caleb and Drake may go one and two. Who would you want at number three?
1: Uh, that's that's hard, you know, because there there are a few things. I personally would like to... Go and trade like a, a second round or a third round pick, um, a late second, early third. Get Justin Fields. If we get Justin Fields, mm. then I would wouldn't mind getting Jaden Daniels um, at no, at number three. But I would prefer to build up, you know, either a receiver or that O line because you have the number three overall pick. I can I can sit back and at thirty four get probably Bo Nix or get um, Michael Penix Jr. And if we could build up that old line I mean, we had Joe Tony. We let him walk, which was a joke. You know, our old line outside of David Andrews. David Andrews is getting old. like, I, he's, been like he's been there a while. He's been there a while, and he just looked at the end of the season, kind of like Jason Kelsey did when he was after that playoff game. Like, he just looked like he was done. And so I don't know if he's coming back, but our old line is shambles. So yep. I pref- I would, I would prefer to pull a Cleveland or pull a, uh, a Kansas city and get Eric Fisher and then, mm. you know, make a, make a trade or, or even trade back from three, but only, I would only go as far as 10. You know, if, if I want to mm. trade back, I would want teams four through 10 to make a move for three because outside of that I feel like you're trading too far back and it's just if I had to choose a guy you have to bring it all back um it would be Jaden Daniels but with our quarterback from the way it is I don't want any quarterback you know Caleb is Caleb Williams especially I want to stay as far away from him as humanly possible
0: the greatest um, quarterback talent in the history of the world you want to stay away from him Absolutely 100. I mentioned Whoa. this, I, dude. I mentioned
1: this on the uh, eight o'clock spot. He is a mental head case, he is Dang. so far gone, like it, it scares me. He's gonna be Ryan Leaf 2.0. I don't
0: know? think it's that bad. I think Ryan Leaf hits some off the field, so I don't think it's that bad. I, well, ba- again, Baker Mayfield might be a better comparison,
1: all right? Yeah, I mean, but no, well, no, Baker is. But here's the thing Baker was competitive like it's it's weird but it's like what what caleb williams has done I, i actually was talking about it earlier today um what he did you know obviously the crying in the the mother's arms you know to like again you say what you want about that but that that is i think kind of telling you know because you lost to a team that went on to uh the national championship game in Washington, they right. were seven and three at the time USC was, and it, it was like the world was over for him, you know, with that. And then USC goes to the hollow. This is what I think is really telling to me. USC goes to the holiday bowl. They win the game. Uh, the backup quarterback, I, I want to say Mitchell Moss throws six touchdowns. And the team after the game is chanting. We a team. Now we a team now. And then Mitchell mm-hmm. Moss goes on to talk about how no ego, we're a team, no individual effort, kind of throwing jabs at Caleb Williams. So that's fair. When when you have that, to me, it it raises red flags. Listen, I'm not doubting his talent. I'm not doubting the fact that he is, you know, ultra talented. He can do everything with his legs, with his arm. Phenomenal. But it's all up in here. It's all, you know, if, if he's a mental head case, which this season I feel like has really proved it, then I'm I'm worried about Caleb Williams. But ultimately at three, it's not. it's not easy. It's not easy because our quarterback room sucks. And do you want really a rookie to come into the quarterback room, that quarterback room? No, you don't. So well, I don't know what to do.
0: My guess is they probably move Mac Jones um and see what they can get for him and probably keep Zappy as the backup or as the third string potentially, depending on what they do. Uh my man Grady actually suggested the other day, like y'all signing Ryan Tannehill is like a bridge guy. Uh bring a veteran in the room. I I could see that potentially working if you draft a quarterback. Uh bring Tannehill in, start him the first out of the season, all season, however, you know, that that works itself out. Uh depending on what what the talent cause like I've always been a believer of play a guy right off the bat like like I remember when the, when the Texans were like debating hey should we play I, I forget the guy's name uh, Davis Mills or should we play CJ Stroud and obviously hindsight 2020 20, we saw what Stroud did but I'm like better to get him on the field now get it cuz he can't I know we talk about Aaron Rodgers and Mahomes and now Jordan Love sitting for a long time but the best experience is, is actually being out there on the field and, and trying to make it happen and so um well, I've, I think, I've been a, go ahead
1: Oh no I was just trying to say I think the college game is it, it now is so vastly different from the pro game that I I I'm the complete opposite. I want a guy to sit for a year. I don't want him to sit for three years like Rogers and Love did. But if they can sit for a year, learn like a real system, you know, learn under one coordinator, and hopefully that coordinator doesn't leave to get a head coaching job, which sure. which is why I would have preferred the Pats go after a uh, offensive coach rather than Gerard Mayo because he's a defensive guy. But right. If they can learn under one system, then I think that there is a possibility that, okay, this kid can make something of himself rather than getting thrown to the fire, you know, not being able to see it, getting gun shy, which is what Mac Jones has become. Because our O-line was decent in 21, his rookie season. And then in 22, he's got Patricia and all hell broke loose. He got gun shy, you know, got hurt. And after that high ankle sprain, he was never the same again. So that's why, and again, it, you could go both ways with this. I understand sure. CJ Stroud, yeah. you know, but it's, yeah, it, it's, it's going to be, it's interesting to see. And I, I and I'm with you. I would have, I would actually prefer, obviously, I know he's going to cost a crap ton of money, but Kirk cousins, you know, I say he's a real guy where year, two years, he doesn't care. He's made his money. Yeah. He'll play, you know, he'll be the starter, but you know, the problem is we have all this money to spend. Yet yeah, spend with no money. with no incentive. No incentive to come here.
0: And then one time Belichick tried to go after free agents in 2021. Like really not like you mentioned Hunter Henry's been fine, but outside of that, no one else has really panned out. And and I was and longtime listeners of my show know I was never from the jump a Mac Jones guy. I thought like every every all the 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 Draft analysis. I heard of Mac Jones. Very, it was like oh, he he reads it field well. I'm like, great. Can he get the ball there? And let's see, he did it in Alabama. I get that, but it's easy. With all due respect, it's easy to get there. Uh, when we got Judy. Judy. When you've got uh, uh, Mechie was there, I think at one point you had uh, obviously wow. Henry Ruggs. You had uh, gosh, who was Devonte Smith who won the Heisman Trophy? It's like Najee Harris running the football makes mm-hmm. your job just a touch easier, yeah, uh, just a little bit. And, and I even saw at the end of his rookie year when McDaniels was there, I like that last four games, I was like, eh, they had one good game against Jacksonville. He had some clunkers against Buffalo, against Miami. So like, at that point, I was like, okay, I think I was, we're starting to see uh, the real Mac Jones. So it's going to be an interesting offseason for New England. Shifting now finally to the Super Bowl. Kansas City, San Francisco, uh, your second guest on the show uh, before the Super Bowl, Devin Nettles, our guy from the uh, At The Bake podcast. By the way, just as an aside, you might be taking Devin's title. Devin used to call himself Mr. Runner-Up on the 8 o'clock spot live in the Grid Network Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern. Uh, you may have gotten that, my friend, because you've been I'm on the show man. five times, and you've gotten the championship round every time, <laughs> and you're 0-5 in the— You've never gotten to the top. You are, your day is coming soon, my man. You, you 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 and Devin have got like that missed. Of course, Devin's won the show before, but uh, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But listen, this 49ers and, and and Kansas City Chiefs Super Bowl, starting with San Francisco. So you've got the Brock Purdy story, Mr. O-Eleven, uh He's put together a fantastic regular season and two, uh, you know, below average first half of the case of Green Bay, below average three and a half quarters before that final drive against Detroit he was straight up bad in the first half and was fantastic money in the second half um your thoughts on Brock Purdy because it's he's a very polarizing player man because you got people who love him and think he's amazing and think he's the MVP of the league people who think he's no good game manager I'm I'm somewhere in the in-between area I think he's a franchise quarterback I don't think he's a top 10 guy your thoughts on Brock Purdy do you think he's capable of hey going throw for throw with with the best quarterback in the league Patrick Mahomes to to win a championship for San Francisco
1: Well, if we're talking about going throw for throw, obviously not. You know, I mean, Patrick Mahomes is Patrick Mahomes. I can't stand Patrick Mahomes. I can't stand the Chiefs for a number of reasons. Yeah. But I'll tell you this. Like, yeah, I'm not stupid. Patrick Mahomes is unbelievable with what he can do with his arm. Um, And so if we're talking throw for throw, obviously not. But that's why they went out and got Christian McCaffrey. That's why they have such a stellar Offensive um, unit, you know, with McCaffrey, Ayuk, um, and Debo, who I wanted, I wanted Debo coming out of that 19 draft. Him and AJ Brown are my two guys. And then of course they get Nikhil Friggin Harry. <laughs> <laughs> um, pain in my ass.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he was he was a bust, man. He was a bust. And I loved Debo South Carolina too. Dude was a beast at South Carolina. He's done that in the leagues too, but go ahead. Oh, yeah. But um, but
1: that's Shanahan's system isn't built like Reed isn't built like, you know, the, the systems where you have to throw a thousand times, you know, and that's, I think that's kind of the beauty of, um you know, the Niners offense. It's more balanced, it's more well-rounded yet. This is why I disagreed with the nerds and why um, Detroit should have kicked the field goal and possibly gone up 17 points because had they gone up 17 with 22 minutes remaining in the game, Shanahan's offense is vastly different, you know, yeah. being down three scores with that little time remaining and the the little possessions they have remaining. So that's why I think if we're talking throw for throw, no. But I think the unit that uh, San Fran has is obviously head and shoulders above Kansas City. You know, I would argue that the tight ends equal out. Right. And then if you look at running back, if you look at receivers, you know, even the O line, even the O line, Kansas City is, is the, is the, um, how do I phrase this? Has the most holding penalties in the league. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, every which way outside of uh, tight end, which is a net neutral, in my opinion. And then quarterback, obviously one up to Kansas City. Every other position, San Fran. Without a doubt,
0: I, only the only thing I would disagree with is the second. I think Kansas City secondary is better than San Francisco. I think Snee. Oh, I was the, talking the, offense. Yeah. Oh, offense. Yeah, yeah, you know, offense, I 100% agree. Now, and I I do have questions about both offensive lines, but Kansas City, for the reasons you mentioned, the holding penalties, and, I mean, listen, for for as well as they were able to kind of, again, to use this term against sort of game, manage that game against Baltimore once they built a lead, uh, I thought Baltimore's defensive line worked Kansas City as a line, just like Buffalo did, uh, just like a lot of teams had this season. And that's, listen, San Francisco is one of the last defensive lines you want to face when you have that type of problem with Bosa, with Armstead, with Chase Young. Uh, so that's going to be a factor as well. For the Chiefs. Um, Obviously, this is an opportunity to get three Super Bowl titles in five years uh, for this franchise to really kind of cement themselves as – the successor to your din- your team's dynasty, the New England Patriots, and and really put together a special run here. The keys to the game for them, because obviously we know Mahomes is great. Everybody knows about him. To- for me, though, and I'll pass it to you after this. For me, though, this defense has not gotten the credit it's, it's deserved all season long. They've been top three in virtually every category all season long. They have not give- given up 28 points all season long. Uh, this is by far the best defense in the Mahomes era in large part due to the Tyreek trade and the picks that came from that. Uh, Chris Jones, LeGarrius Sneed, uh, the linebacking core they have there, Bolton. Uh, your thoughts, the keys to the game for Kansas City to knock off a roster that you and I agree, I, I think is, is is better in San Francisco.
1: Yeah, well, I, I think that obviously um, Kansas City's def- secondary is going to be tough, especially with Steve Spagnuolo. Mm-hmm. Um, I I can never, I, I can obviously yeah. with what he's done to my team. Yep. I can never 07. doubt Steve Spagnuolo in the playoffs. Um, going against Tom Brady, so I think. The way he's going to disguise his secondary is, I think, going to take care of itself. You know, not to say that they're not going to be able to throw the ball on them. But, you know, I think that it's going to be it's going to be hard for Brock to be able to drop back 30, 40 times and try to beat Kansas City by doing that. So obviously, I think the keys to the game uh, for San Fran is to run the ball. And obviously, the keys to the game for Kansas City will be to stop the run because while again, Kansas city is a very good defense. They, they can get run all over and under Shanahan's offense. That's a huge thing that feeds right into what Kyle Shanahan wants to do. Now, the only question is, will he be able to do it or still call the right plays in the fourth quarter? See super bowl 51 and super bowl 54. Yep. Um, but, He I think that's going to be really what comes down to is how is the run run defense? Chris Jones, great player, but the linebacking crew hasn't been top notch. The D line is good. But again, Baltimore screwed themselves because they made Lamar Jackson a pocket passer rather than just run the freaking ball. They ran eight times with their running backs. Like, six times with their running backs. Six times. Thank you. Six times with their running backs. Like, what are we doing? Lamar Jackson wild. is not is not a pocket passer. And that was something I was I really want to talk about because it's it was just asinine. You have Detroit making dumb analytic decisions, nerd decisions. And then you have, you know, Lamar Jackson, who's again, I love Lamar. But there is a reason why I said on the eight o'clock spot two weeks ago or three weeks ago that you know what even though the if if they won that the it should be put to bed Lamar's um, you know all the bad things against Lamar sure it, they he they took Lamar out of his game or Baltimore took Lamar out of it out of his game and that's why I think for Kansas City they need to stop Christian McCaffrey. You know, it's it's going to be the complete opposite of what Bill Belichick did to Thurman Thomas. He let Thurman Thomas run wild, yeah, and that's what screwed Buffalo. Right. This is going to be the complete opposite. They need to shut down Christian McCaffrey. They can't, if they can't shut him down, the Niners are going to win.
0: So essentially, kind of sort of dare Brock Purdy beat you with his arm, and, and that's. It, it really is a pick your poison type of situation. And, listen, if you have to make the decision who's going to beat McCaffrey or Purdy, you're obviously going to choose the latter. And, and listen, McCaffrey's been the best back in football for the last couple of seasons, season and a half, I mean, really the majority of his career in, in some respects because of his ability to catch the ball uh, out of the backfield. Finally, and then I'll let you get out of here. Do you? So, so Devin, we can put this graphic up here. Uh, Devin had Kansas City 24-17, to 17, got two really good defenses, a little bit of a, a defensive battle to a certain extent. Uh, Tim, we're going to have you on the record here. Who do you got and what's your score?
1: You know, it's funny. I haven't thought about it. I just, I, you know, the only thing I've thought about is the fact that uh, I hate Kansas City. I hate Patrick <laughs> Mahomes, and I hate Travis Kelsey. <laughs> like, that's the only thing I can think of, especially when Jason Kelsey goes on and says he wants to bring back backyard baseball. Like, that's his uh, retirement oh, endeavor. I, I, that would, I would love that. That's why I like Jason better than Travis. But <laughs>
0: Backyard <laughs> um, baseball, yeah.
1: Bring, bring back backyard baseball, baby. I'm in. Um, if it, All right to go into it I think it has to be if San Francisco is going to win I think it's you know what I'm going to take San Francisco okay and I'm going to go I, it's going to be a little surprising I'm going to go 28-17 Niners
0: ooh a little bit little bit little bit of a not blowout but kind of a controlling win there
1: I I think that again if you know with all the holding penalties against the, uh San, against Kansas City um, now again, I don't know how much the, uh, NFL wants to help the, uh, chiefs, but you know, <laughs> um, I, I'm not saying anything. I'm not saying anything. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, uh, but no, it, I think that all the holding penalties against the chiefs could play, it could be a factor, especially when you have Nick Bosa, Chase Young, Toronto, i like you mentioned earlier, you know, if they can rush the passer, flush Mahomes out of the pocket, uh, not even flush them out of the pocket, but just contain them. I think that's really going to be what it comes down to. Uh, is you know can uh, the Niners get home?
0: Yeah, that's and that could open the door potentially for a Nick Bosa Super Bowl MVP. I actually remember the very first Super Bowl I ever predicted on my show was 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 this game four years ago, and I picked Bosa to win MVP, and and obviously Mahomes and the Chiefs put together a magical last six minutes to to steal that game. But it'll be a fun one for sure. Tim Boston Sports Summit, everybody, checking out on the Grid Network. When does your show go live, Tim? Show goes live Wednesdays at seven PM. All right, everybody, check it out. Tim Barnard, the Boston Sports Summit podcast. Very excited to have you as a part of the Grid Network. Mr. Runner-Up, your day is coming. You're going to win the 8 o'clock spot one of these days, my man. You're you're close. You're very close. But uh, I appreciate you coming on, my man.
1: Hey, I appreciate you having me. It was a blast. Thank
0: you. Yes, sir. Have a good one. You too, man. Tim Barnard, host of the Boston Sports Summit podcast. Very excited to, to have him on the show, as always. Um, I'm trying to work on this graphic and, and get his score up here because I want to have uh, all of our scores from all of our guests before I make my my final prediction um, going into it. I guess we'll, we could just have that ready. No, I've actually, hold on. I might be able to get this uh, on the show before uh, we get out of here. Um, let's see what we got. Yeah, that looks good. Well, let's see. Let's make one little... Well, editing a graphic right here on the spot, live on Carving It Up. See if we can get this out here. So we got, we so far, let's see, last year, the guests, I think I had six guests on Carving It Up Live last year. And all six picked Kansas City, including myself, to beat Philadelphia. We did not have a single person on the show pick the Philadelphia Eagles. I think we've got the graphic uh, ready to go right now. Do we have it? Uh, this is it right here, so it's it's pulling up. And then we will do our all-star topic and then get out of here. Uh tch, 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 okay, here we go. Yep, there we go. So there you go. Tim 28 to 17 San Francisco and Devin 24 to 17 Chiefs. So there you go. We we got two great Super Bowl predictions uh by by those two. So very excited game. So uh, th- thank thank goodness we got more diversity in the picks than we did a year ago. Again, listen. I hate the Eagles just like everybody else, but it was like I needed somebody to pick Philadelphia, but everybody went Kansas City. They were correct, obviously, Uh, and then now this year we got one to one, so we will see what happens in the next week. Before we get out here super fast, the NBA All-Star Reserves were announced last night. Uh, real quick, it looks like we got a comment. Uh, yeah, Tim, in the comments. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Tim, for coming on. Very excited to, uh, to have you as a part of the Grid Network. And uh, everybody, check out Boston Sports Summits. Wednesday, Boston Sports Summit Wednesday nights at seven Eastern at four Pacific time, uh, seven p.m. Eastern. second okay lost connection my mic there for a second i I don't i think i may sound very different uh through the audio no i think i sound good some reason it disconnected but yes rest of peace carl weathers yeah that broke earlier today that was sucked to see uh very accomplished actor Apollo is, as, as you mentioned, uh, he was in some other movies. I know he was in – I'm a big Star Wars guy. He was in The Mandalorian uh, on Disney+, Plus, and so uh, definitely has passed away at the age of 76, so a huge, huge loss uh, to the acting community, to other communities regarding uh, the acting business, like in in the sports industry, in in Star Wars, and in other projects. So definitely a, a massive loss, and may may Carl Weathers rest in peace. No question about that. Uh, but shifting to the NBA All-Star game, so the reserves were announced last night. If I could pull up the, the graphic here because they announced it last night on Inside the NBA. They've already announced the starters. And what do we have here? Okay, so for the Western Conference, the starters are Luka Doncic, Kevin Durant, SGA, LeBron, and Jokic. And their reserves are Buck, Steph, AD, Anthony Edwards, Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, and Carl Anthony Towns. Out east, the starters are Giannis, Embiid, Halliburton, Lillard, Tatum, with the reserves being Bam, Paolo Bancaro. Shout out to my man Paolo Bancaro. I love that guy. Jalen Brown, Jalen Brunson, Tyrese Maxey, Donovan Mitchell, and Julius Randle. And so for the east, by the way, it looks like they're going to miss at least two of those guys because Embiid's going to be out for a few weeks. He's not going to be ready to go for the all-star game. And Julius Randle suffered a shoulder injury. He's likely going to miss the All-Star game, and then out West, uh, right now, knock wood, looks like everybody's pretty much healthy and ready to go. We'll see what happens in the next couple of weeks. But I'm just looking right now, the Pistons are up 20-6 to on the Clippers. We we could have a little something here, Clippers being the Clippers type of Friday night. But listen, out East, I thought a major snub, in my humble opinion, was I thought Trey Young should have made it. I thought Trey Young should have made the All-Star game. You talk about a guy in Trey Young who is – a consistent double double guy in the sense that he always gets up to. Do we have his numbers? Trey Young. Uh, yeah, Trey Young this season is averaging 27 and 11. Like that's, that's, I get, I get the shooting splits aren't terribly efficient. He's only shooting about 43% from the field, but 27 and 11 is 27 to 11. He's, he's like a, he's a less efficient Tyrese Halliburton. He should make the All Star game in place of an Embiid or of an, uh, or of a Julius Randle. The only thing that way they, I mean, they'll put him in it, but the only reason he may not get a ton of playing time is because those are two bigs and Trey Young, one of the smallest players and therefore one of the worst defensive players uh, in the All Star game. So that, that could come back to bite him unless he just gets on some hot shooting streak. I can see uh, Trey Young as a potential replacement in the All Star game. Looking down the list, I also could see them potentially, potentially uh, getting uh, Jimmy Butler uh, an All Star spot. Listen, twenty one points per game, about uh, shooting almost fifty percent for the field. Maybe an All Star replacement for for Joel Embiid. Uh, maybe a uh, Derek White makes again. I know I'm talking about only guards, but like those are those are kind of the snubs everybody's talking about. Out East, out West. Listen, nobody's ever gonna accuse me of being a massive Sacramento Kings guy. Uh, I don't hate the Kings. It's it's not by any stretch of the imagination. It's far from a rivalry uh, with Golden State. But they listen. They pushed us in the first round last year to the brink. It took a Steph Curry fifty piece to win that series for for my Warriors. But and then even in this year, the last two Warriors Kings games, the Kings have won both games by a combined two points. So like they have both been down the wire. Uh, the fantastic matchups. The Kings play a very similar brand to Golden State. So you have strength on strength, weakness on weakness, which makes for some fun matchups. How De'Aaron Fox? How De'Aaron Fox did not make the All-Star game is beyond me. Man's averaging 27-4-5, and five, about 46-47% from the field, 38% from three. How does De'Aaron Fox not make the All-Star game? It's 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 nothing against Cat. I, I know a lot of people argue it's over Cat. I'll take Cat over Sabonis any day of the week. I'm not a big Sabonis guy. Give me De'Aaron Fox in the All-Star. How he doesn't make it is... It's crazy. And, again, I again I'm talking a lot of guards. It's guard heavy. But, man, like that's that's one that I he feels like a type of dude because of the new Kobe rules in the NBA All-Star game that's been in place since 2020, the new Kobe rules. De'Aaron Fox, the type of guy that you can plug in there, get a bucket. He's one of the fastest. Fox is one of the most appropriate last names I've ever seen for an NBA player because he's one of the quickest and twitchiest uh, smaller players in the league, guards. And so I thought De'Aaron Fox should have gotten him. But I could see Trey Young, Jimmy Butler getting the All-Star game in place of Embiid and in place of Julius Randle. Other than that, and by the way, I know a lot of folks and a lot of my fellow Warriors fans were mad about Steph Curry not being an All-Star starter. Usually when it comes to Steph, quote-unquote, disrespect, I'm on the train of one of the most underappreciated superstars in the history of the game. In this instance, I didn't have an issue with him not being a starter. Luka and SGA have been objectively better. You look at Steph Curry's numbers uh, this year, if we can pull them up, because Steph has been so listen, Steph's been fantastic. And by the way, my Warriors played the Grizzlies in just 30 minutes. But uh, Steph's averaging 27 points per game, uh, leading the league by a mile in three-point shooting, and is, by the way, shooting 93% from the, the line. So Steph, relatively efficient in that regard. But pull up Luka's numbers. Do we have Luka? By the way, Luka has a 70-point game, a 73-point game, mind you. Uh, on his resume this season. Where are the Dallas Mavericks? Okay, there's Dallas. uh, Luka Doncic. If we can pull up his stats here. Again, I mentioned with Steph, 27, 5, and 5. 27, 4, and 5, I believe. Luka's averaging 34, 8, 9 on more efficient shooting. So Luka has been absolutely better than Steph. And I think, and I'm a big Shea guy in in Oklahoma City. I think Shea, uh, Gildas Alexander, has been better than Steph Curry this season. If we can pull up uh, his statistics on the season. Where's Oklahoma City? I cannot find the Thunder, and I cannot find SGA. Okay, there's the Thunder. So, Thunder, again, Steph's averaging 27, 4, and 5. Lucas averaging 34, 8, and 9. Shea Gilgis-Alexander is averaging 31, 5, and 6 on Morfitt. He's shooting 54.5% for the field. As a He's a bigger guard, but still, as a guard, as a perimeter player uh, who could score down low. So, yes, they both should have been all-star starters over Steph, in my humble opinion. I'm a huge Steph guy. Like, if Steph had missed the All-Star game, that would have been insanity, but there you go. So, yeah, that's that's my only beef. It, it, it's amazing how many guys we look and we're like, how are they not All-Stars? How is he not an All-Star? How is he not an All-Star? Just goes to show you, I know it gets under people's skin. People don't like to hear this. This is the most talented since the 1980s. 80s were one of the most talented decades in NBA history. Crazy. I mean, you had Magic, you had Bird, you had Dr. J, you had MJ. You had all these guys in the 80s. 90s, it was MJ, you had Chuck, Stockton Malone, Reggie. Those guys, obviously, I'll Jordan and, and Charles Barkley as well. But those guys simply were not on the levels of, of the guys in the 80s. This is one of the most talented decades I can remember, remember in the NBA. It's more international. It's the older guys. We have no, more great old players than we ever have in the history game. LeBron, Steph, KD. All three very, very worthy All-Stars. So it'll be a fun All-Star game in Indiana. I'm looking forward to more than anything the, the steph sabrina UNESCO three-point shoot-off. I think it's going to be a blast. And Sabrina wants to shoot. Y- y'all know I've been I have been talking about Sabrina-Unescu on Carving Up Live since she was in college at Oregon. I, I'm a huge fan of her game. And but she said she wants to shoot from the three-point line in the NBA. If Listen, if she wants to take that on, more power to her. Because in her three-point contest of WNBA, she broke the all-time three-point contest uh, points record. 37 points she got in that. She went 25 for 27. I think is that was the number, 25 of 27 in the three-point contest. Facing, obviously, now the greatest shooter that God ever created, as, as Stephen A. Smith says, in Steph Curry. So, that'll be a fun matchup. I'm looking forward to that. I'd like to see a Steph curry Caitlin Clark shoot-off. That would be fun. But maybe we'll get that in future All-Star games. We'll see. But that said, that is all the time we have for today's show. Appreciate everybody stopping by. Shout out to Tim Barnard, Boston Sports Summit. Check his show out every Wednesday night at 7 p.m. Eastern, 4 p.m. Pacific Time, live on The Grid Network. Of course, be sure to like, share, comment, and take two seconds out of your day. Hit that big red subscribe button right down there. Helps the channel grow exponentially trying to get to 1,000 subscribers by Super Bowl 58. So if you have subscribed, thank you so much. Appreciate your support. Tell your friends about it. Please tell your family about it. Tell everybody you know about Carving Up Live. We can grow the channel, grow the family, and grow the overall product. If you have not subscribed, it just takes a couple seconds. It just takes a couple seconds. Down there, hit that big red subscribe button. Helps the channel grow exponentially. And my teammate on the Grid Network is Tim Barnard. We have many other teammates. So that said, go subscribe to the Grid Network. That is G-R-Y-D, the grid podcast network right here on YouTube, as well as any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast via Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, any and everywhere you get your favorite podcast. It is so weird not to have football this weekend. And the Pro Bowl flag football game does not count. It does not count. Super, Super Bowl next week lot of Super Bowl talk. Some NBA trade deadlines. All going to be a very eventful week. Looking forward to it. We will see you then. Stay safe out there. Please be sure to take care of your physical as well as your mental health. And please, please, I beg of you, contact your local state representatives and senators to demand change for gun violence in America. We've got to address this problem. It's it's one that is really, really near and dear to my heart and one that we have to address ASAP. Um, this, is, this, is, this is a big one. So let's do our part as citizens of this great country. I'll see y'all on Monday. A lot of Super Bowl talk. More guests coming on Carving Up Live. We'll see you soon. Stay safe out there. God bless y'all. Peace out. I'm pulling for Peyton, though, in the Pro Bowl games. Thanks.